Good evening, and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, be sure to follow and subscribe to your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's episode, we're going to be taking a look at everything that happened during a very, 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 very busy trade deadline day. I'd argue that this is probably one of the wildest trade deadlines that we've seen in some time, and I kind of find it amazing that we've gotten to this point considering that trade deadlines when the asset pool is pretty thin are usually on the quieter side. I mean, the trade deadline pool last year was better and, they, you know, not a whole lot actually happened. For some reason, though, the NHL went absolutely ballistic today and we have a lot to talk about, so let's get started with some of the earlier trades that occurred. I suppose the first one of note was one that I mentioned in yesterday's episode, but we have Ilya Kovalchuk traded to the Washington Capitals for a 2023rd round draft pick, and I think that Montreal did a pretty good job here. I believe Kovalchuk was a free agent signing after his contract was terminated, so Montreal got a nice little valuation boost and an asset out of it. Kovalchuk's impact with the LA Kings was not particularly good. In fact, he was, uh, well, I suppose he's one of their top performing forwards as far as like a bottom sixer goes. But for the rest of his impact, not particularly notable, and I believe he was at something like minus five and a half goals above replacement, which is pretty bad. With the Les Habitants, though, he actually resuscitated something at like a 6.5 goals above replacement, which is, in all fairness, pretty good. I feel like his performance at, you know, special teams and stuff ended up carrying some of his early runs, and he had a couple of nice overtime winners. Now, I'm sure his shooting percentage was probably inflated, but if you're the Caps and you're looking to change things up and get a guy who at one point was one of the top Russian goal scorers in the world, I, I suppose that you could do worse than Kovalchuk. I don't know that this really moves the needle all that much, but hey, Washington can just kind of afford to go for it. They've already won a cup, and I feel like at this point, they just want to throw things at a wall and see what sticks. The next trade occurred not too, too long after, and it was actually involving a guy that Washington was rumored to be linked to, and that is former Caps defenseman Mike Green. He was traded from the Detroit Red Wings to the Edmonton Oilers for Kyle Brodziak and a conditional fourth-round pick. There's not a whole lot to say about this trade other than that Mike Green really doesn't do a whole lot for Edmonton's playoff fortunes. He is technically a defenseman, but he's been below replacement level for the past couple of seasons, and he's on the wrong side of 30. In Green's prime, he was one of the top offensive defensemen in the NHL, but nowadays he's definitely slowed down a step and he plays a more defensive role, which is... Pretty okay if you're paying not that much for him. I feel like Brodziak in a fourth is kind of a shrug from me. It's not really anything to note. If I recall correctly, I think Detroit retained some salary on his contract. So the cap hit is less of an issue, but still, I don't really get this move from Edmonton's perspective. If you're looking for a right-handed D who can capably play top four minutes, that's not going to be... Uh, Mike Green, unfortunately. I guess the most you can say is that they really didn't pay a whole lot, and that's probably all that you can ask for. Uh, on the same evening, I believe we also saw Vladislav Nemesnikov sent to Colorado for a fourth-round pick, this pick being in next year's draft. Nemesnikov is basically a fourth-liner at this stage in his career. Whatever usefulness he had when he was with the Tampa Bay Lightning really didn't show itself with the Rangers, and with the you know Ottawa Senators didn't really show anything more than that. He might be like an okay penalty kill or maybe even a power play guy, but I, I'm not really sure that he has the finishing talent or the all-around game to do much beyond that, if even that on the power play. Um, I kind of think that at this stage, Nemesnikov is 
really, really, really uh, overvalued and, and not particularly good. So I think that's why his contract and, and I guess, points production ended up only fetching a fourth rounder from next year. I don't think that this move really moves the needle, but, you know, Colorado has had a, a decent opportunity to rehabilitate some guys who were playing in bottom six roles in other teams and turning them into, like, 25 goal scorers. Nichushkin has been pretty decent at even strength in all situations. Obviously, Andre Burakovsky has been a notable goal scorer. I don't think Nemestikov will have the same thing, but he could be at least a little bit decent for, like, a fourth-line penalty kill guy. I just wouldn't really bank on him doing much beyond playing a very limited role for, for Colorado. But hey, he's forward depth, and I guess that that's worth something. Our first real blockbuster trade ended up being Jean-Gabriel Pajot to the New York Islanders for a 2020 first-round pick, a 2020 second-rounder, and a conditional 2022 third-round pick. And if I recall correctly, the 2020 first-round pick is lottery-protected. What's kind of interesting about this deal is that for both parties, it makes a good deal of sense. I think Islanders kind of paid a lot for a guy who's probably going to be a second-line center. But here's the thing with the, the Islanders, I guess, is that at this stage of their trajectory, they're basically as good as they're going to get before they start to rebuild again. In a lot of ways, I understand why they're hesitant to waste some of the prime years of their best players like Matt Barzal, Anders Lee, and those guys. But I guess my bigger concern is what exactly is Paggio supposed to do for this team? I like Paggio as like a middle six utility guy with some notable offensive upside when he's playing with skill. He's also a really good special teams player, and I feel like a lot of teams could use his PK skills and maybe even some power play production, but beyond that, I just don't know. He's been riding a really inflated shooting percentage, and even though I have kind of irrationally defended him before, I'm obviously very cognizant of the fact that he's more capably like a third-line C. On the other hand, I think, you know, the Islanders don't really have any other sen centers to rely on, so I guess the price makes sense. I'm not sure that I love the deal, but... I think in the context, it's a sensible trade if, if you're really trying to compete now. What ended up transpiring out of this is that the Islanders then extended Paggio for f six years at $5 million per, roughly speaking, which is a you know, pretty hefty contract. That average annual value is kind of killer. I don't love this deal for uh, the Islanders. I, I do understand it. I totally do. And he's like, I think, 27 at this point, so his contract basically carries him through uh, age 34. But, you know, in my opinion, this is kind of like paying Brian Little, uh, a much better Brian Little, I will say, but paying Brian Little, you know, $5.5 million for five or six years. I'm just not sure that that is the best move. Now, I will say that, again that the Islanders don't have many options at center. So, in context, it is a sensible deal. I just think that your average annual value is kind of high, and I feel like the Islanders are going to run into a cap crunch sooner rather than later. I know that this definitely fills a need. I'm just, I'm a little hesitant about everything that transpired around this deal and contract. If the extension was below six or below five million a year, fine, that makes total sense. I think, though, for as much as they're paying him and for what he's going to bring, not 100% sold yet. I thought Paggio might be the biggest fish going in the trade today, but apparently that wasn't the case because Carolina traded for Vincent Trocek out of the Florida Panthers in exchange for Eric Halla, Lucas Walmark, Etu Lusterainen, and Chase Prisky. Now, this deal is kind of weird for a lot of reasons. I think Trocek is one of those guys who's had a down year. Past couple of seasons been a little bit up and down for the Panthers. Um, he's had some serious injury concerns, but in his prime, he's definitely like a 2C kind of guy, which... Frankly, I don't think that the Canes have somebody of his caliber. When If he's at his peak, if he recovers, 
They don't have somebody like that at his age. The guys that they traded uh, include, you know, Walmart, who I think is a really capable third-line center, kind of like an Andrew Kopp of sorts. He's got that similar defensive impact and a pretty decent offensive impact, if not a great release or, you know, amazing edge work and stuff. Eric Kala is one of those guys who probably wasn't resigning with Carolina. I think Kala is a little bit on the end of, of being really offensively productive, but beyond that, not much else. And I feel like Kala is more like a middle six center at this stage of his career. He's definitely looking for a bigger payday. So, you know, dumping him, I totally understand. Now, Lusterainen, from what I understand, is a pretty decent middle six, maybe bottom six forward, power forwardy kind of prospect, which Carolina's got lots of those guys in the system. They have gone through many, many players like that. And usually, if you uh, if you pick from the Finns, at least from Carolina's staff, the Finns are probably going to pay off because they tend to have really good Scandinavian scouting. The defenseman Chase Prisky is kind of interesting because he's a 23-year-old D-man who I believe has over 30 points in the AHL at this point in the season, and Prisky might be a pretty decent right-handed guy. I don't know if he's like second pairing good, but if he's third pairing, I think that that's actual value. The biggest central issue for the Panthers with all of this is, yeah, they they got rid of a, a contract that I guess was technically underperforming for them, but the guys that they got in exchange are probably not going to solve their immediate issue. If they're having issues scoring or creating a lot of offense consistently, then trading the guy who's really capable of doing that uh, when he's at his best, I'm just not 100% sold on that whole process. I think that they sold low on Trocheck, and I'm not 100% sure that this is going to pan out for them. It could absolutely be worse. I mean, I feel like the return is definitely not great, but I think people were also saying it's the worst return ever, and I'm not sure that it is. It's just, I think it's a gamble for both teams, and I think Trocheck eventually... If, if the Canes utilize him right and if he, you know, everything goes right, he could be a really good top six forward for them. But, of course, it's not guaranteed, and he's definitely had some injury concerns before. So this is kind of going to be one of those things where I think you might want to wait and see before rushing to judgment. I think on the face of it, yes, Carolina did win that trade. I think that they traded a bunch of guys who are more expendable to them for a guy who has top six potential. Beyond that, though, probably a little bit much to say that either team decisively destroyed this deal. I don't think it's as bad as it looks. I think that the Panthers definitely could have gotten more for Trocheck, but I understand the deal that they did make. In surprising news for an entirely different reason, Michael Hutchinson got traded from the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs in exchange for Callie Rosen. And all I can say is, wow, all right. Who exactly is wanting to trade for Michael Hutchinson in the year 2020? I'm not sure what Colorado is really thinking here, but I guess I don't really understand what the Maple Leafs are doing either. It's not like Toronto has a whole lot of goaltenders in their system that can actually play in the NHL. Not that Michael Hutchinson is an NHL goaltender, he's probably not. But trading him for a guy that they actually had in their system at one point, uh, it's whatever, I don't know. This deal is one of those trades that I just kind of throw my hands up and say, who even knows? Same train of thought, we've also got Nate Thompson heading to the uh, Philadelphia Flyers for a fifth-round pick. Now, what's really funny about this is this this trade was phrased, I think, by uh, Pierre Lebrun as being, the Flyers missed out on Jean-Gabriel Pajot, so instead they spent a 2021 fifth-rounder for Nate Thompson. That take is, like, my favorite trade take almost of the entire day. As if either of those guys is even remotely comparable, like a fourth liner who's below replacement level at times for a guy who's um, uh, arguably a top six, probably a middle six most comfortably uh, productive center. These dudes ain't even in the same universe, man. But hey, more power to the Flyers. I guess that they get a little bit of center depth. And then as if that wasn't enough, they then went out and picked up Derek Grant from the Anaheim Ducks for a fourth round pick and Kyle Criscuolo. I don't know anything about Kyle. I think he's like an AHLer, and that's probably a guy who's going to go to the uh, to the goals. 
but I think a fourth rounder for Grant is very serviceable. Derek in his, I guess, so-called bottom-line prime was actually a very productive fourth-line center, and I feel like if you want a guy who can drive your either your third line or your fourth line comfortably as a defensive two-way transition guy, then you could do a whole lot worse than Derek Grant. I think that that's a perfectly okay trade. It's definitely not Jean-Gabriel Pajot, but it's it's not that bad. It could be, te- you know, terribly worse. Like Nate Thompson for a fifth rounder, even though it's a fifth rounder next year, is definitely a, a lesser player in my opinion. On the kind of funny and weirder side, we did get Patrick Marlowe sent to the Pittsburgh Penguins for a 2021 conditional third round draft pick and I'm not really sure about this one. The Pens are definitely loading up an arms race, but I feel like Marlowe's at the stage of his career where he's not really going to be much of an impact player, but I I guess whatever. It's the Pens. They've made plenty of teams kind of look silly in the fact that they can make old guys and young guys look serviceable somehow. I don't know that getting older and slower is going to help their, you know, 5v5 offensive production all that much, but hey, Marlowe is, uh, he's a savvy veteran, and I guess that's probably what they're banking on. Buffalo also kind of got in on the action for some reason, trading a fifth-round 2021 conditional pick for Wayne Simmons, and I I don't even know where to begin with this. I guess Simmons is a good guy in the locker room. Oh, I mean, obviously, we all know off the ice he's a wonderful person, but as far as his on-ice contributions are concerned, he's basically, like, maybe a penalty killer. I don't think that he's going to be much more than that, and at even strength, certainly his impact has definitely declined. He's, he's you know, kind of on the wrong side of his, you know, declining age curve and stuff, and his offensive production and playing style don't really lend themselves to long-term success and longevity. So, yeah, I guess uh, I just, I don't really understand what the Sabres are doing. I mean, Buffalo just seems to have, like, zero plan for any of of their future, and I I don't understand what this trade really does. It's definitely a thing, I guess, Uh, and maybe they think that he's going to help stabilize their locker room situation, but if I'm, like, Jack Eichel or, or any of the other guys who are the young talents on this team, I'm thinking to myself, Wow, uh, you know, Botterill doesn't really seem to have a plan for fixing this. And, like, now they're stuck with Rasmus Ristolainen for at least, the you know, another couple of months, and Ristolainen's value is probably pretty low. I really don't know who thinks that he's going to be a top-four defenseman, because certainly not anyone who was looking at the trade deadline. They've overcooked him, and I think people finally are starting to wise up to the fact that Ristolainen's just not that good. We are finally into the home stretch of trades, and I have to say that Andreas Athanasiu going to the Edmonton Oilers for uh, Sam Gagne, a 2020 second rounder and a 21, 2021 second rounder, is probably not how I saw that deal going. Uh, I think Detroit also picked up some guy named Ryan Kuffner, who I've literally never heard of, so I, I assume that he's probably not a focal point of this deal. Either way, Edmonton paid a lot for Athanasiu. Like, Athanasiu is kind of like a fun, I guess, middle six center. But as far as play driving potential is concerned, he's not really that great. He might be like a finishing kind of guy or somebody who can put some shots on goal. But man, like the price that they paid was like not cheap at all. I feel like that's a lot to surrender for a dude who's probably best suited as a third line third liner with some like power play potential. Kind of on a, another weird note, we saw the Buffalo Sabres again make a deal, this time acquiring Dominic Calhoun for Connor Shady and Evan Rodriguez, which is definitely a thing. I kind of feel like Buffalo moved out salary, but the thing is is that the two guys that they sent out are kind of like the same kind of player that Kahoon is, which is, all right, a thing. I, I guess I just don't really understand this trade beyond, you know, Evan Rodriguez deserving more minutes elsewhere and Shady, I guess, being a mistake in their eyes, but like both of those players are pretty serviceable as middle sixers. Kahoon might be pretty decent, but again, I just, uh, I, I don't know. I, I feel like this deal is kind of one where I just sort of shake my head and go, eh, whatever. <laughs> that's the Sabres for you. That's that's Botterill's 
Buffalo, I guess. I don't know. I don't really know what their plan is, and they don't seem to have one, so I think you just kind of have to shake your head and say whatever and move on. In another kind of shake-your-head-whatever deal, the uh, New Jersey Devils and Vancouver Canucks swapped goalies. In this case, Louis Domingue is heading to Vancouver, and Zane McIntyre is going to the New Jersey Devils. Um, Domingue at one point was like an okay secondary backup goalie, but I feel like at this point, who knows if he's going to be anything more than that. His results the past couple of seasons have unfortunately been pretty dreadful, so I feel like Zane McIntyre is fine to just throw out and see if uh, see if Domingue actually can recover and do something for you. My guess is probably no, but I do kind of low-key root for the guy, especially since he had it out with Patrick Waugh. In a trade that very slightly impacts the Jets because it's what we essentially got Cody Eakin for, it appears that the Knights have acquired Nick Cousins for a 2021 fourth-round pick. It looks like they basically upgraded centers while cutting salary, so... Great, we helped out our enemy while paying for it. So that's that's awesome, guys. Great, great, great plan. I don't know what the deal with uh, Aiken is, but he is, quite frankly, not really on my list of NHLers that I was hot to trot for. So, yeah, good going, Jets. At least we got Dylan DeMello. That I'm happy about, legitimately happy about. No irony. Um, Aiken doesn't really do anything for me, but whatever. Keep quiet on this whole trade deadline, and I guess it's probably fine. Our next uh, list of trades I'll kind of fly through. Derek Forbert to the Calgary Flames for a 2021 fourth-round pick. That's conditional. I guess the Flames need more third-pairing or seventh defenseman, so whatever. The Oilers actually got a pretty nice deal in getting Tyler Ennis from Ottawa for a conditional, or actually non-conditional, fifth-round 2021 pick. Even if it was conditional or not, great deal. Ennis is a a nice fourth-liner with some, you know, third-line upside. Value for value, I I think that that's about as good as you're going to get for the price that they paid, which was almost nothing, so pretty nice deal. I think that Edmonton got a nice cheap wing with some offensive upside. All in all, not too bad. Uh, The Caps actually kind of dipped their toes again, this time picking up Daniel Sprong in exchange for Christian Jews. I've always been a fan of Jews, but I could see him not really getting a shot here anymore. Sprong is interesting because there's some stuff this season in his very limited minutes to suggest that he might actually have some finishing ability and an ability to drive some offense from the wing. Be curious to know if he pans out for the Caps because Sprong always had a lot of potential but just never really seemed to find his footing in Pittsburgh or Anaheim. If he does pan out, he's a low-risk, you know, buy-low candidate with some potentially very high middle six to top six upside. Less so in the top six, but if nothing else, he might be a fun scoring third-line winger. We also have Calgary acquiring Eric Gustafson for the Blackhawks for a 2020 third-round pick. Uh, yeah, another guy who I think is probably a decent blue liner but doesn't fix um, Calgary's immediate issues and needs. On another weird one, we've got Tampa Bay acquiring Barkley Goodrow, who's a really good fourth-line defensive forward, but they spent a first-round pick for it, so I don't really understand that. That's very pricey for what Goodrow brings, and I'm just kind of like, ah, all right, <laughs> whatever. Kind of weird. Um... And also, I believe they got Anthony Greco in that deal, so I don't know. I think the Sharks did pretty well on that one, especially for a dude who's just a bottom six winger. On the larger end of things, there were a couple of deals that Carolina did to round at their defense, and that was to pick up Sammy Vatanen and Brady Duchesne for a sum total of a first-round pick, Yanni Kuwakinen, I believe a fourth-round pick, and something else. I don't know. For all of that, I feel like they basically got two second- or third-pairing defensemen in terms of defensive impact. Shea is actually like a legitimate top four attacking D. I just don't know if he's really going to be much more than like a, a number four or a number five D, like Tyler myers kind of stuff. Vatanen has also been pretty bad for the Devils. I mean, that, that defense in general is pretty awful, but I, I just don't really understand 
aside from filling in injury gaps, do these guys really bring anything for the Carolina Hurricanes? I don't know. Shea might be a reclamation project. I, I don't know that he's going to change much. I think Brady is pretty much what he is at this point, and I think the same can be said for Vatanen. Obviously, Brad Brindamore and Eric Tulski's brain trust think that they have something in these guys, and maybe they do. Maybe there's some untapped potential. I think it's a lot to ask those two, though, especially at their ages. They're not exactly young anymore, and Vatanen's definitely on the older side, so it'll be curious. I think that they needed you know, injury insurance after Pesci and Hamilton both went down, but I'd be hard-pressed to say that their defense really improved in the absence of those two guys by bringing these two in. I think that on the whole, their roster probably didn't improve that much versus just calling up somebody like, say, Jake Bean and uh, any other other defenseman. They might totally show me up, though, and I could totally be wrong. I just don't really get the sense that the Carolina Hurricanes outside of Trocek really made all that many moves. The last move that we'll discuss uh, is actually Vegas acquiring Robin Lerner. And this is a pretty big deal because Robin Lerner is kind of a, he's a very good starter. I think he's been elite at certain points throughout his career. And Vegas is basically gunning for it all the way full stop trying for a cup. The one area that they, they desperately needed help in was to bring in a top flight goalie because, hey, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury and Malcolm Subban unfortunately weren't cutting it. Enter Lerner, who is definitely going to fill that role. It's kind of interesting that no one wants to extend this guy for multiple years, but either way, the Vegas Knights have an amazing rental piece to, to back up their uh, their goalie tandem, and I feel like with Subban getting shipped out, uh, a two twosome of Fleury and Lerner is really excellent and fixes one of the last gaps on that team's roster. All in all, I guess they did all right, although they did resign Holden for like two years, and I'm kind of like, uh, uh, okay, that's weird. But you can sort of overlook that when they bring in a guy like Lerner, at least temporarily overlook it. That, for the most part, covers the NHL trade deadline. Unfortunately, Winnipeg didn't really have anything else to do, so I guess we're just going to have to sit tight and be satisfied with Cody Eakin and Dylan DeMello. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Have a great night, and go Jets go.